Briefly, actually, we just we were just introduced to him last last time around, which wasn't last week before. Um, in so we met this, this guy named Philip, and he um, he actually um, just kind of appeared with this scattering, this dispersion. There's persecution within the church, and because of that, the church within Jerusalem is being um, scattered about. And this guy Philip, he's now we're seeing him come about, and he's quite an amazing fellow. Another guy we're going to see um, is, is a guy named Simon, and we're going to, they're kind of, they're kind of like, I mean, kind of contrast these two characters. They're kind of like opposing characters, um, which is interesting, because during the time of persecution, you, you could see that there's clearly guys like, say, for instance, Saul. We saw Saul briefly last week, and how he was kind of, inst- well, he was very much so instrumental with the persecution of the church. So you think, okay, well, a guy like Saul is most certainly the bad guy. And then you see people like Philip and like Simon. And, you know, Philip, an evangelist. And you have this guy, Simon, you know, who, yeah, oh, yeah, he's got such, so much human potential, you know, and he's certainly now one of us type of guy. So you have the Saul guy, who's the bad guy, you know, the Simon guy. But the thing is, a lot of times within the church, uh, we have to kind of wait and see what time will say about certain things. Simon, we don't hear much about after this, but Saul, we hear a lot about starting in the next chapter. So it's funny how our, you know, kind of our prejudices, you know, our preconceived ideas about what people should and shouldn't behave and be like kind of get turned around sometimes on our faces and we go, whoa, surprise. So before I let too much of what's going to happen in the next few chapters out of the bag. I want to look at, at what's going on here with this guy, Philip, especially this interaction with his new fella, Simon. So in verse four it says this, those who have been scattered, preach the word wherever they went. This is, this is a reminder of what we talked about last time. And that's awesome because remember we, we were saying how if this didn't happen, this persecution, then the church in Jerusalem may have just kind of stayed where they were, you know, comfortably stayed where they were. But Instead, God allowed certain things to happen, right? Where persecution came upon the church, and it kind of forced people out of the comfort zone. They had no choice. It's a life or death situation. And so, consequently, they scattered. But look at the effect. Look at what it brought about. It brought about the, the preaching of the word wherever people went. And that's a good thing. That's, I think that's what God wants. That's what Jesus certainly told the disciples. You need to start in local, you know, Judea, Jerusalem, and then, or Jerusalem, and then Judea, you know, the local areas, Samaria, whatnot, and then to other parts of the world, which is exactly what we see happening in Acts right away. So Philip went down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city 
and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the power of God. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about what God is and what God isn't, and it's, it's, it's just historical. It's just, it's, since, since the day of human history, it's, it's been in all culture groups, and that is if you seem like you got it together, God must be on your side. And if you seem like you don't have it together, God must not like you. And that's just rubbish. Even today, there's this thing, this prosperity idea that if you love God, God will bless you. And if he's not blessing you, it's because you're not loving him enough. And that's just rubbish. If you look at the apostles, you look at the disciples, you look at Jesus himself, you look at the prophets. Okay, I mean, how blessed were the prophets when they were actually standing up against Every disobedient person who is supposed to be following God but not following God, they're speaking out against in the name of God with courage and bravery, and they're getting killed. What do you say about them? Oh, God doesn't have favor on those prophets because they were killed. Well, the Bible tells us differently that they were men and women of faith, of trust in God. And these are people of God, but yet they fell on challenging, difficult time. It was a part of their calling. So the idea that like, whoo, and so people were seeing this Simon fellow. Ooh, look what he's doing. We talked about last time. He was a trickster. He was like, you know, an illusionist, if you will, a magician. You know, we know, we know what it's like. We see on TV, you know, that magicians have their tricks and they're not supposed to share or else they'll get you know, in trouble, you know, with their fellow musicians. I mean, that's what this guy was. He was a trickster. He had his tricks and he got people excited. Ooh, look at this guy. And, and it's fun to watch. It's exciting. And of course, because of this this, this weird misconception people tend to do, they, they associate his power, not realizing that it's trickery, with, with God. He's charismatic. You know, he's got personality. He's got good looks. He's got the tricks. He's got the right words to say. He's, oh, he's amazes all of us. He must be close to God. That's a misconception. So they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized with men and women. Like, I was to say about the people, fickle. Oh, yeah, we love you, we love you. Wait, what, Philip? Oh, we love you, we love you, we love you. Anyway, so I'm not going to go into that too much. But, but the fun thing is that we need to, right away we're going to have a funny distinction between what's happening here with these believing and these baptized people and, and, and their maturity. Because in the next slide, as we keep going on, in verse 13, Simon himself believed, and he was baptized. So we have a whole group of people, including Simon, who are believing and being baptized. And it's important to, to reconcile this is what's happening, because there's a lot of commentary I'm going to look at about what is happening here. Okay, here's a group of people in Samaria, including this fellow Simon. They're receiving the word, they're believing the word, and they're being baptized. Okay. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles he saw. So now something interesting happens in verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers. So these are new believers, believing people. And um, new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on them or any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this kind of funky distinction between 
uh, the Holy Spirit coming upon them in this simple baptism. They have simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And this is kind of an odd one, which, was, which requires a little bit of thinking and research. Why is there this distinction between the Holy Spirit coming upon them? Because Jesus, when he talked in, first, or in John 3, he talked about like, you know, being, you won't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And born again, he, he equated very closely to having the Holy Spirit. So is the Spirit here or not? And if the Spirit's not here, how are they believers and how are they convert? So there's a lot of crazy things going on here that I want to talk about. You know, what is happening here? Isn't believing receiving the Holy Spirit? Isn't, it, isn't that what the Bible says? That if you believe with your heart, with your mouth, that you'll be saved? Isn't saved a part of being born again, being filled with the Holy Spirit? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of strange things. There's this distinction, and it's causing us a little bit of a hang-up here. So Peter and John, they place their hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. So simply put, just to recap it, a group of people in Samaria, are, you know, they've heard the message, they believed the message, they're baptized, but they had to wait for these guys to come, lay hands on them and receive the Holy Spirit. So what's that all about? Or as they say in Canada, what's that about? I've been watching a lot of Canadian YouTube lately, so I apologize for that. So, so the, is there, I'm going to look at four different commentaries on this. So, and what I want to do is I want to build a harmony. Okay? That means how do we draw a line between what these four fellows are saying and, and make sense out of what happened here? A harmony. Okay, there are there might be some potential disagreement in these comments, but I don't think but the disagreements I don't think are going to cause us any real problem. Because what we want is we want to see some harmony. What is make some sense of what's, what what is this distinction all about? So first is the Bible comment the Bible knowledge commentary, and, and, and what they say is normally these things these things meaning the whole you know the, the, the two different things the, the believing in the baptism and the Holy Spirit usually happen at the same time. That's what we would expect normally. But the delay was, an ex- it was there for an exceptional reason. God allowed it for an exceptional reason. Number one, it's to authenticate Philip's ministry. Because he was out there doing his own thing. That they wanted to, you know, authenticate it. Yeah, well, this guy's legit. The message he's giving is, 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 is genuine. Number two, it's to acknowledge the work in Samaria. So not only in Philip's life, but in the work in Samaria. Wait, are we allowed? Because don't forget, the Samarians were looked at, looked down upon as being the half-breeds, right? Oh, the Samaritans. Oh, no. God really loves us here in Jerusalem and Judea. But the Samaritans? No, no, no. Right? But, but you know what I'm saying? So maybe, 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 just maybe, it's authenticate the work of Philip and to authenticate what's happening in Samaria is legitimate. It's what God wants. Okay? And number three is also to promote unity. And I like this. This is a good part of our harmony, to promote unity among the church and to fit you know, a schism. If you think about it, it's like, well, this is my work here, says Philip. And we know Paul, when he wrote to Corinthians, he didn't want schism in the church. He didn't want there to be a church of, of this person, a church of that person, a church of that person. He didn't want a schism in the church. He wanted a unity in the church. Okay? So, number three, to promote unity amongst the church and to prevent a schism. So, so there's, I think there's some good things we can take from those comments. Okay? Number one, normally the Holy Spirit will come when a person believes. However, there was a reason. God did something for a very specific reason. And it's to authenticate the work of Philip, the work that's going on in Samaria, and yet also to provide unity. We're all together on this within the church. But there's other opinions. Next slide on this matter. J. Vernon McGee. You guys don't know him, but I do because I'm an old guy. He says this. What he says what this distinction shows is that there's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge or conversion. Okay? 
That's what he's saying. He's saying they may have heard the message, understood it intellectually, and they said, ah, oh, if you want to be baptized, we'll be baptized. But, but being baptized, hearing something, agreeing upon something is different, distinctively different than being affected by it. Okay, so we can get a little bit of something from this as well, can't we? These have heard the gospel, but have not yet been made born again. So it hasn't really sunk in spiritually, if you will. Simon's behavior seems to agree with this theory, and we'll see more about Simon in just a moment. So for, for him, being born again equals the Holy Spirit being received. And I think this is right. In fact, we're going to continue to see how there may be various layers of how the Holy Spirit interacts with people. Okay? But being born again, and if these people were born again, they will receive the Holy Spirit. The problem with J. Martin McGee, he doesn't think they're born again at all. He doesn't think they're born again until they receive the Holy Spirit. Because for J. Martin McGee, there's just one receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay? So for him, believing, being convinced, head knowledge, is prior to being born again. And baptism, because they're baptized as well, is just an outward act. You can be baptized genuinely, and you can be baptized ingenuinely, if that's a word. Okay? For instance, there's many young people who are forced to be baptized in the high church. Is that a genuine baptism? Is that a genuine sign of repentance? No. I hate to say it, but no, it's not. So there's baptism where it goes, I'm changed, and here is, here is, here is, here I am celebrating it. This is a celebration of my change. But you have others who might, and you know, when I was in junior high, I remember we used to go to, this, we used to, go to these youth camps. In these youth camps, um, you, you would, you would, everyone would get fired up at a meeting, and they'd all jump in the swimming pool and get baptized. I wonder how many people were genuine, and how many people think, well, I don't want to like, not get baptized, because then I'll look like the heathen. You know? I don't want to be, you know, because peer pressure, right? So things to think about. So baptism can be done without prior conversion. Now, again, I'm not going to agree with him wholly and say that all these people were disingenuous. Because you know what I'm saying? There's a whole group of people that were hearing the gospel and they're believing it. To say that they're all of them didn't really, weren't really genuine in their belief and all of them weren't really converted, I'm a little bit tied up on that. But there's some good information here about the idea of head knowledge versus heart knowledge. I think that's good. We can get something as we build our harmony. John Corson. He's recording John Corson. Um, he says that Philip needed help from the apostles, basically. Philip needs help. And this represents the unity of the body of Christ. We need each other. We need each other. It's not a one-man job. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a corporate effect. It's a team effort, this thing called the church. The church is the body of Christ. It's not just, oh, him and then the others. No, it's the body. We all work together. And this, what we see here, is not a template nor a recipe for the receiving of the Holy Spirit. John Corson said like seven times in his podcast, you cannot box the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, um, he referenced um, Cornelius in Acts 10, where, where um, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit fell upon him. There was no laying on the hands. There was no, um, there was, it was just, when the Spirit came upon him, there was no laying on the hands and there's no water baptism. It just happened. And his point is this, you can't put, you can't cookie cut. You can't structure, you can't template. I like this as well. So we're learning a lot from these guys. Maybe this is just a special circumstance. Maybe these people had head knowledge, but weren't really converted. They weren't really changed. And, and you know what? As far as this is concerned, we can't use this as a template for life. That when the Holy Spirit comes, this is what happens. You can't put the Holy Spirit in a box. 
John 3 says that the spirit is like the wind. You don't know where it's coming and where it's going. You can't box it, man. That's me quoting John Corson. Okay, next slide. And lastly, uh, I haven't quoted Chuck Smith in ages. I don't think I've ever quoted Chuck Smith. But here is his theory. I think this is wonderful. This really, I think, puts it together. Again, we're building a harmony. So according to Chuck, here, there are believing, here they are believing and they had been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they had not yet received this gift to the Holy Spirit. So he calls it, talks about a special gift to the Holy Spirit. So the, the, so the church in Jerusalem sent Peter and John that they might receive this subsequent experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In believing and being baptized in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit would, of necessity, be residing in them. Because no man can call Christ Lord except the Holy Spirit. So he kind of disagrees with J.R. McGee. J.R. McGee sees these as just, just, they have the head knowledge, but they're not really converted. Chuck says, no, they're, they're converted. They're calling on the name of the Lord. This is genuine. And they have to have the Holy Spirit in some sense of the way. And yet, there was a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He had not yet come upon them. And this is the preposition epi. So he's going to use these ideas of prepositions. First one being epi. We dealt with epi in our last session as we looked at the threefold relationship with the Holy Spirit demonstrated by the three Greek prepositions, para, in, and epi. He is with you, he shall be in you, and you'll receive the power when he comes upon you. Para, in, epi. And by the way, I... To find it really uh, as simple as I can, the very bottom there, if you want to look at it, in a, in a, in a, in a straightforward like, formula. The para exper- or para experience, the end experience, the epic experience. Okay? They, had not yet had, they, had, they had not yet had the epic experience. They had the width they were, they had the width they were con- convicted. They had the in the Holy Spirit had come within them because they were baptized in the name of Jesus. But they had not yet had the epi, the overflowing or baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit had not yet fallen upon them, any of them. And so we read that Peter and John prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So we have the guys from Dallas, okay, the first commentary. And they basically were saying that this is special, Situation. John Corson agrees that this is special. We can't put God's dealings, the work of the Holy Spirit, in a box. But then you have J. Vernon McGee saying, well, what's the point? They must not have been converted yet. Because to be converted is to be born again, to be born is to have the Holy Spirit. Chuck says, well, listen, J. Vernon, they, 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 they did have the Holy Spirit, but they didn't have, but they had, now they have a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. And the new relationships like this. So think about the three different relationships. So, and and, and they're, they're defined by these prepositions. First, the para experience. The Spirit is with you. You're convinced. So they were certainly seemed like they were convinced of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was with them, working, doing something in their lives. And this is what was likely to be happening here with the Samaritans before the apostles. And then you have this in experience. The Spirit is in you. And this is, he believes, is the response to baptism. Because the Holy Spirit was, was in them, they heard it, they were convinced, and the Holy Spirit started actually working in their hearts. And they decided, let's get baptized. So again, maybe some were genuine, some weren't genuine. But this is cool because this leaves room for genuine baptism, right? Some people who actually did hear the gospel and did actually genuinely respond to it. And this too, again, is, is what is likely to be happening here in Samaria before the apostles. And then the third experience is this epi-experience, 
which the Spirit is upon you. It is kind of overflowing, if you will. And this happens when the apostles came and laid hands on them. Next slide, please. And I'm going to finish up by finishing off Simon here. So Simon's folly in Acts 8.18. Now, again, I already kind of hinted on this. When, 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 when outside attacks, you know, like persecutions don't work, sometimes Satan will send in, you know, insides, you know, moles into the camp, you know, spies, you know, in, you know poison from the inside. Uh, and here we see a form of that with this racketeering or potential racketeering from this guy named Simon, you know. And, and so let's just look at what happens here and how the, the apostles put a stop to it right away. When Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on the apostles' hands, he's like, wait, this is pretty cool. I like this. I want to do this. He offered the money. And, and the offering of the money, I think, is profound because it shows you that he doesn't really get it. The gift of the Holy Spirit is free. There's no charging of money. What, what's horrible about the church in the Middle Ages is they were charging people for works that the church should be offering free. You know, like things like confession and repentance. You know, you'd, you'd have to pay to be right before God. And that was the corruption in the Middle Church, Church of the Middle Ages. And here we see that there's no place for money when it comes to the service of God. And so they respond by saying, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent for this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you. See, according to Simon, he's like, well, obviously there's some kind of scheme going on here. You've got this power. If I pay you, you could teach me. I could be your disciple. Then I can go out and I can charge others for it. You see? Racketeering. He wanted, to make, he wanted to use the name of the Holy Spirit and God, Jesus, to, to turn a prophet. So repentance was needed. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Bitterness. Maybe Simon was a bit jealous. You know what I'm saying? Because of what was going on with, with, with Philip and all the wonders with Philip. All the wonders now with these apostles. Maybe he was jealous. Oh, I want to get in on this. Come on, give me a cut. No, brah, you just don't get it. You just don't get it. And Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me that that nothing you have said may happen to me. And that's the last we hear of Simon. Next slide, please. And we're almost done, guys. We're going to finish this chapter out. It's pretty straightforward. So in Acts 8, 25, we see here now a genuine work of the Holy Spirit. This is, what the whole, this is what the Holy Spirit looks like, okay? This is what happens when the Holy Spirit starts to move amongst the community of people. In verse 25, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So the work, the preaching, the sharing of Jesus. Now an angel Lord, this part's crazy, I love it. Angel Lord said to Philip, Here's this guy, Philip. This is his last big story with Philip. Go south the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met. Now, again, I, just, I don't, I don't want to point out, I want to point out the obvious guys. Here he is, Philip. He hears the voice of the Lord. That is what the Holy Spirit does. He 
speaks and we respond, okay? He's evangelist. He, you know, he, he knows he was pushed out of Jerusalem. He's in Samaria. He's preaching the word. And now he's like, wow, that was crazy. I'm going to just take a break. No, 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 Philip, get up. I got another job for you. There's another opportunity for you. So he started out, and on his way, he met this Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of, of the, the Kandaki, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, so he went to go to Jerusalem to worship. Now he's on his way home. He missed the message. And God's thinking, don't go home without the message. Without, you know what I'm saying? Don't miss the main point of what you're come to Jerusalem to do. And he, it's awesome. He goes, but you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to grab you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to send my brother here, Philip, to come get you. And so on his way home, he was sitting in his chair reading the book of Isaiah. You know, reading from the scriptures. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? I mean, look how simple this is. He's just hanging out with his bro. Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. What are you reading there? Let's talk about it. You know what I'm saying? It's really simple. It's really straightforward. So he goes, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. Oh, an open door. I can maybe explain it to you. So he invited Phil, come on in and sit with me. How awesome, how just beautiful. This, this friendship, this friendship evangelism, if you will. Just come on. You know, I, I, I want to hear. Come on, what do, you, what, do, what do you guys say about this? What an opportunity for Philip. So the next slide, thank you. This is the passage of scriptures the eunuch was reading. He was, oh, what a verse to happen just to be picked up on. What a verse. To, <laughs> beautiful. He's like, wait, what, this is confusing. Explain this to me. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before it shears is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In humiliation, he was but deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. See, he understands this is a, some kind of messiah. This, this is the anointed one. How could this important person of God have this happen to them? I don't get it. <laughs> well, we got the answer, don't we? And here in the next slide, we have opportunity and responsibility. We have an opportunity and when we have opportunities, we have responsibility to react to the opportunity. So the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage. You can start right there. Start anywhere. That very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? This is a genuine, you know what I'm saying? I mean, again, the Holy Spirit's, in light of what we just talked about, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's working here. The Holy Spirit clearly told Philip to move. The Holy Spirit's clearly working in this man's life. The Holy Spirit's clearly there. And he's moving him to conviction. He's moving him, I want to be baptized now. So we see the Holy Spirit's there. This is a very genuine. This isn't someone being worked up emotionally like what could have happened in Samaria. So some manuscripts exclude this, but here, but Philip possibly said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then verse 38. He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. A little rapture action going on here. And the eunuch did not see him again. But went on his way rejoicing. 
Philip, however, appeared. This is, I mean, this is weird. I'm talking about doing some funky things. I'm, I'm glad, okay, remember what we learned earlier. You can't put God in a box, okay? He's allowed to do one-off things, okay? Earlier we talked about how, you know, there's maybe a reason for this. He wanted him to move, get busy. So did he teleport him here? It looks like it. He was suddenly away, and then he suddenly appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Caesarea.